Hey, Paul, it's Charlie. How are you doing? Hi, Charlie. Doing well, thank you. Great. I wanted to wish you a happy birthday. Oh, thank you. That's too, yeah, that's about that. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. So, Paul, I know you have exciting news for all of our listeners and supporters out there. Uh, if you might, uh, just go ahead and, and tell us what the big news is, and we can go with that. Well, after I left Sea uh, Shepherd US and was dismissed from the global board, I felt that I had to uh, rebuild, reorganize uh, uh, our Navy. And uh, towards that end, I began looking for a ship. And fortunately, uh, one of our supporters, longtime supporters, John Paul DeJoria, uh, who had a boat named after him, and that boat was scrapped, but they didn't bother to tell John Paul that they had scrapped his boat. So when he called me up and uh, he said, what's that all about? And I said, well, the ship was just fine. I don't know why they scrapped it. And uh, they should have told you about it. So then he called up um, Pritam Singh, who is uh, the new chairman of Sea Shepherd, and said, uh, oh, why did you scrap the boat? And uh, Pritam said, well, I was getting old and had to be scrapped, which wasn't the case. But then he said, why didn't you just give it to Paul or to Global? And Pritam said to him, well, we offered it to him, but he refused, which is an outright lie. So John Paul's response was to me, uh, well, find a ship and uh, I'll pay for it. So uh, that's what I did. And uh, we found uh, a month and a half ago, we found uh, a vessel, perfect, absolutely perfect, probably one of the best vessels we've ever had. Uh, and uh, it was called the Vigilant. And that was a Scottish fisheries uh, patrol vessel, similar to the Steve Irwin, and, but a little bigger. And uh, so we arranged the purchase of that vessel, and we're presently uh, outfitting it. It'll be repainted. It'll be named the John Paul de Joria, and uh, it'll be ready to uh, put to sea and do campaigns uh, in early 2023, uh, possibly as early as January. That's very exciting, Paul. So, so you have a new ship, and you have in mind how to use it. Anything else, anything that some, uh, I guess, ship people out there might like to know about the vessel itself? Well, a lot of uh, Sea Shepherd uh, veterans, uh, officers, and crew have uh, come to me, and uh, some are already on the ship. Uh, some want to uh, crew on the ship. So I don't think we're going to have a problem finding people who, who want to participate and want to help out. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who are dis disillusioned with the, some of the Sea Shepherd uh, leadership over the last few years and left are now coming back. So what I see this is is really a revival of uh, what we've been doing for the last 45 years. And unfortunately, organizations tend toward, uh, you know, towards getting complacent and uh, bureaucratic. And uh, this has been happening for the last couple of years. And it was in June of this year that when they told me they're going to change the direction of the of Sea Shepherd, uh, they're going to pursue science and diplomacy and no more direct action. They don't want to do anything controversial or, or confrontational. And I said, well, I... Uh, I can't participate nor support that. And uh, the answer to me was, you work for Sea Shepherd, you do what you're told. And I said, no, I don't think so. I, I didn't set Sea Shepherd up to be uh, mediocre and to really, not, you know, we have to be the cutting edge. We have to be right there uh, in, in the face of the people who are destroying uh, the ocean and life in the ocean. And uh, we have to confront them and we have to make waves. And that's what we can intend to continue to do. Paul, one of our uh, supporters has, has written in and uh, asked a question for you. Uh, his question goes like this. How can you assure me your new foundation won't change like Sea Shepherd did and get overturned? 
haven't changed at all since 1977 when I established uh, Sea Shepherd. And not all of Sea Shepherd has changed. Uh, we're working closely with Sea Shepherd France and Sea Shepherd UK and Sea Shepherd Brazil, who are carrying on, uh, you know, the original uh, focus the, and uh, the strategies and tactics that we've been doing all along. So it's consistent. We're continuing to do what we've always done. But there's this renegade side of it, which want to be bureaucratic and complacent, and they're the ones that don't support that. So really, nothing has changed as far as uh, some of us are concerned, and we will continue in the same vein going forward. So, Paul, uh, another supporter, Ethan Carp, asks, if someone wants to volunteer on the ship but has few professional maritime skills, how would that be done? We have always taken people to, you know, who don't have maritime skills. It's it's important to get people who are navigators and engineers and good ships cooks. Uh, but we always want to uh, make uh, spaces available for people who have the passion to want to get involved. And, you know, if you go back, uh, Ernest Shackleton in 1911 was criticized by the London Times, who said that uh, all their, his crew were amateurs and they weren't professionals. And why was that? And he said, well, I don't. Want to, I don't want professionals. I need amateurs because they have the passion, the courage, and the imagination to get where I need to go. And I'm not going to get that with professionals. So you always have to have uh, that element. Now, yes, we want professional uh, crew members uh, and especially volunteer professional crew members. But we always want to be available for people to uh, to participate and be part of the solution. Awesome. Um so, Paul, I wanted to ask you another uh, question. This is a little bit off topic, but I did see recently that Whole Foods uh, is going to not sell Maine lobster. And I wanted to ask you, Paul, how, how, do, how does lobster fishing impact right whales and, and other whales? The lobstermen of, uh, of Maine especially, and in Canada, Nova Scotia, the problem is they set these uh, lobster traps literally by the thousands in very small areas. And those lobster traps are uh, attached to buoys on the surface. And the problem is that when whales swim through those areas where all these traps are, it's like swimming through a spider web. And uh, they get entangled with these uh, lines. And uh, they get enough of them, and that weighs them down and eventually can drown them. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a very uh, serious obstacle to uh, whale migration, especially right whales uh, going through the Gulf of Maine. And, uh, you know, they, they, there's... What we've advocated is a solution to that, although I'm not supporting, you know, people leaving lobsters. But one of the solutions they could do is have um, these uh, lobster traps outfitted with uh, buoyancy uh, gauges that could be activated by radio. And that would mean when they went to collect them, they simply press a button and the lobster traps would rise to the surface and they could collect them. And that would eliminate that uh, threat to the whales. Paul, am I correct that one of the first uh, animals that you ever saved was a lobster? Well, I was raised in a lobster fishing village in eastern Canada, St. Andrews, uh, New Brunswick, which was actually the largest lobster fishery uh, in the world at the time. And uh, so lobsters were pretty common. In fact, you can always tell the poor kids in our community, we were the ones that went to school with uh, lobster sandwiches on homemade bread, desperately trying to trade for bologna or peanut butter, which we thought was exotic. But uh, yeah, I rescued two lobsters. Uh, one was called Flounderface, and the other one I named Bug-Eye. And um, 
my uh, father got a little upset was going to uh, cook them, so I took them down and uh, released them back into the Passamaquoddy Bay. Unbelievable, and that and that's kind of where it all started, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's wonderful, Paul. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Very excited about the new ship, um, and certainly as we get more updates, Paul, we'll we'll have you back and and learn more. But again, Paul, uh, happy birthday from me and from everyone else, all your supporters out there. Uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate all that you do day in and day out. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I want to thank Paul for his time today and wish him a happy birthday. Hey, if you're wondering what do I get Captain Paul Watson for his birthday? might I recommend that you make a donation to the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. Uh, If you can make that donation for Paul's birthday, I'm sure it would bring a smile to his face and also enable him to save more marine life. So it's a win-win for everybody. If you would like to make a donation, please go to the uh, Captain Paul Watson Foundation website and you can find that at paulwatsonfoundation.org. Uh, There, you can also learn how you can become a volunteer. So follow the links and you can fill out the forms that you need to if you would like to do that. Uh, I would also like to remind everybody to subscribe to this podcast. If you're listening to us on iTunes or some other uh, means, Spotify, please do subscribe. And also find us on Instagram and send us your questions. Uh, You can find us at uh, Captain Paul Watson Foundation Podcast. And if you send us a question, uh, we might get to ask it to Paul in the near future. So please do continue to send those in. And uh, as always, uh, this episode is brought to you by Homeris Americanus. Thanks so much for listening and look forward to speaking with you all next week. If the oceans die, we die.